I'm Audrey Bellis. And I'm Yvette Montoya. And you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon and Español. We tell stories about femme leaders and activists of color, making our world a better place. Let's get started. We are here today with Jessica Cruz. Jessica is a Seattle-born digital video creator now living in the very hot city of Los Angeles, which for any of our listeners, for the day that we've re- we are recording this, if you step outside, it's cold, windy, and there is another storm coming. Yay. Mm. Yep. Daughter of an immigrant of immigrant Mexican parents and a UW grad, Jessica earned a degree in American Ethnic Studies, giving her the ability to tell you if something is racist or not. Major key. She moved to L.A. in 2015 with hopes of making money while working on the Internet, as we all are. She worked up the ranks of BuzzFeed Motion Pictures, producing over 22 digital videos and appearing in more than 137 videos. She was a founding producer and personality behind BuzzFeed's Latinx Facebook page, Pero Like. Jessica hosted and produced an 11-episode series on Flama called Mas Mexican, focusing on understanding different aspects of Mexican identity by meeting people in the street. She currently produces shows with People Be Like, focusing on entertaining yet informative content aimed at diverse millennial audience. Her favorite color is crimson, her favorite animals are cows, and her favorite food is pho. Bilingual. Mm-hmm. Jessica, welcome. Thank welcome you. to Brown Girls Thank Rising. You. I'm so excited to be here. We're happy to have you. So legit. Yeah. Well, can I just tell you that every time I hear pero like, I do like my uh, head movement. My Tawanda head movement. That For makes sure. me want to like snap out because my mm-hmm. acrylic is really long. I want to like do the little nail thing like, yeah. oh, hey, yeah. Wendy Williams. Hey. You got to do it. You got to do it. It was really weird to be like in professional meetings and be like, Yes, uh, pero, pero like, you know, you kind of want to just start talking like that. I use that hashtag. <laughs> hashtag pero like? Yeah. Oh, okay. So tell us more about pero like. So you're at BuzzFeed, you're creating content, and you have this incredible opportunity to produce this Latinx page. First of all, I struggle with the term Latinx. The first time I heard it, I was like, I don't even know what Latinx is. Mm. Yeah, so uh, they really wanted to start jumping into... Latino, Latina, and Latinx uh, content at BuzzFeed, uh, we were seeing that there were a lot of competitors that were doing it. And as money people do, you want to jump in for that. So I was a fellow at BuzzFeed, and along with a lot of other producers there, we decided to make this channel, which is still rolling. I'm not there anymore, but I still rooting for these people because they're working really hard. It's fun. So when we're saying... Latinx. We're talking about millennial Latino audiences, right? Because the it's, first time I heard that, I was like, am I one of those? Latinx is not in gender binary. Right. So Latino, Latina is only specifically for men and women. The X is everyone. Is everybody. Everyone's included. If you identify everybody. as Latinish, then you win that. I'm half yeah. Mexican, so I'm going to claim that. If everyone is a person, then they are Latino. Latinx. Yeah, if yeah, if you're a person. If you're a person that I identifies mean, with that, yeah, stupid. Sure. But what else could you be if you're not a person? Exactly. <laughs> There's a there and, you go. Audrey. I don't know, man. <laughs> There's some conspiracy <laughs> theories out there. It might be credible. Mm. Oh my goodness! I've okay. been watching a lot of X Files. So right, <laughs> it's on Netflix. <laughs> but let's go back to BuzzFeed. So BuzzFeed, cool. LA company, right here. You're producing this. Daughter of Mexican, your Mexican descent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, when I think of LA and we're talking about Latinidad, like what does it mean to be a Latino? What does it mean to be a Latina? And here I feel like we get a lot of quote unquote LA Latinos, mm. which is automatically assumed that it's Mexican Latinos. It was a really weird thing to come down to Los Angeles from Seattle because in Seattle, we're so few. And by we, I mean all Latinos, all Latinx people. Um, we're not a lot of a majority over there. So when somebody said, hey, are you Mexican? I was kind of proud because they were like, you got it. Oh, my gosh. But um, <laughs> You did good. <laughs> right. But here it's just kind of assumed that everyone is, which is very interesting to be like walking down the street. And they're like, my people are everywhere. I remember my mom yeah. dropping me off. And she's like, in Seattle, if you see like a brown person or someone, you're like, man, like I'll make sure to give you an extra tip. Like I will help <laughs> you out. And then here my mom's like, you can't do that because we're everywhere. And, and you'll go broke. And you will go broke. You can't just give them the $10 tip to every valet person because so I don't how have do that you, money. How do you curate content though for that? Because we aren't just all Mexican. Like Yvette, you're mixed Latin heritage. I am. And Latinos are not a monolith. We are not all mm -hmm. the same. Mm-mm. Which is why I think the Latinx um, term is important yeah. and relevant now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think trying to figure, because it was really interesting because all of a sudden I'm given this privilege to be able to make content on the internet to represent so many different people. And mm. I'm just coming from one perspective. Um, it's really about listening to the audience. It's really about list like reading those comments is really important. And then also collaborating, talking to other producers about how to make content was super important. And it's also just trying to figure out like, what are the similarities between all of us? It's like, cause you know, if on the internet you want things to be relatable. So trying to figure out what's similar, but also what's different and celebrate those differences. Yeah. And, you know, especially we all look differently. We all yeah. come in different shades, different colors. You know, people might think you're a different race, but you, if you identify as Latina or Latinx, like that's, that's important. So it was really just like a, collaborative effort to try and make content it's there's no way i could encompass all everything that is latinx content and figure yeah. that out so let's talk about your community cool and how has your demographic changed the way that you see yourself as a leader so growing up in seattle uh i grew up in one of the most diverse zip codes in the nations 98118 represent um we've got a large percentage of different types of colors of people coming in together. And it was really, really great growing up. I went to an elementary school that was mostly all Asian people and people of Asian descent, which was really cool. And then I went to a middle school. It was like everyone is a different color. And then high school, I went to uh, a Catholic, you know, prep school. And all of a sudden, everyone was white. So that was growing up, my, my community looked like different colors. And I feel like for me, especially it's it's a multicultural intersectional type of person that I see myself as and I also like to make content for that audience which I feel like is a lot more people than mm -hmm. just narrowing it down to be like just make Mexican content you're like well guess what we all have different colored friends they're all yeah. like they're all fantastic and 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 we learn different things. Like if I'm going to, you know, eat some ramen, like I brought my parents to go eat pho. I'm going to bring my parents to go eat some ramen. Like it's an expanding, like being an outsider makes you like collaborate with every type of person. You know, it's yeah. interesting that you say about, um, of course, we're not all the same color. 
Um, I have a cousin on my mom's side, Mexican, uh, married an African-American guy. Their kids are, we refer to them as the black skin kids. They're hilarious, <laughs> beautiful. I bet. And um, my cousin's uh, daughter is about the same age as another cousin's daughter who's Mexican on both sides. And she comes home from school one day and she goes, my friend, she goes, oh, they had a parent-teacher conference. Mm-hmm. And she goes, Thea Audrey, my friend's dad, guess what? I said, what? He's black. And I go, cool. What do you think your friend is? Dark brown. And I go, <laughs> okay. And granted, she's like four at the time. Mm-hmm. I go, well, what do you think your cousin is who's mixed? And she goes, silly, we're Mexican. <laughs> and I go, ah, but her dad's black. And she goes, no. <laughs> Are you sure? And I go, yes, yes. He's black, I promise. And she goes, she was so mind blown by this concept. She goes, I, I don't even know what to say about it. And I go, well, Mika, what color do you think that I am? And she goes, dark yellow. <laughs> and I go, am I still Mexican? She goes, but yellow Mexican. <laughs> that's a that's a very colorful way to try to portray people. <laughs> right? From a Strictly four- just color. But from a four-year-old perspective. And so Brown Girls Rising is a project of worthy women. And we have audience members. And uh, I think I've spoken about this on another podcast before that are Afro-Latinas mm-hmm. and identify as Latina first. Right? African-American right. women second. Mm-hmm. And the diversity that they experience here of being told, like, you're not Latina. You're just black. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't identify that way at all. And this project is meant to elaborate those voices of, you're right, we aren't, as Eva would say, we are not a monolith. We right. do not all look the same. And curating curating content for people that fits a wider breadth of experience. So how do you go about doing that in your various projects? I mean, we have to make an effort to try to find people like it it may be it may take longer to find like an Afro Latina that fits like Mm -hmm. the role that we're trying to fill up or like an actress role or something like that. But we got to go with that extra step because, you know, if you just ask for a general casting of Latina people like there, you're going to get you're probably going to get a certain amount of people and then you just got to wait. You got to make sure that you're representing as many people as you can Uh, and not just, you know, different colors of of the skin, but also like different experiences, different, yeah, d- mixes of different people. You got like people that are, that are, you know, Asian and Latina at the same time. You're like, you got to represent that too. Like there's, it's hard. It's harder to do that, but you have to do it because if it's, if we don't do it, no one else will, you know, yeah. like mainstream media isn't yeah. all of a sudden going to change, but like, you know what? Let's represent everyone today. Like they're just going to go with whatever is commercial. If only. Right. Yeah. But we like being on the Internet, we have that, you know, ability to, to take a little minute and be like, why don't we extend this little casting session for like maybe two hours? Let's see who else comes in. And, yeah. you know, it's it's important. That's something that we or that I specifically go through with Worthy Women, our event series, um, making those panels and making sure that they're diverse and we've looked at other people's panels and there's just like not a lot of diversity out there Mm. in them, which is why we wanted to be different. But like people, I mean, the biggest excuse that we hear is like, well, I couldn't find anyone. It's like, are you really looking though? Right. Like if if they're not coming to your casting, like reach out. Because they're out. This is why we're doing this because people are saying like, oh, well, those voices aren't out there. Like, no, they're out there. Just no one's telling you about them. For sure. And then, and it's also hard to, find people because you know if you're looking for someone you're like well they probably don't want me right because 
you know, you're looking for a specific We're too role. used to being typecast in a way exactly that of not enough mm-hmm. or too much right. and it's not going to fit. For sure. And yeah, we're and all brown girls. Exactly. And, and I ha- think it's up to us to like encompass all of that. Yeah. We, and it's exactly what you guys are doing right now. We're, we're trying. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you identify? Do you identify yourself as a brown girl? For sure. I, I especially coming from like an um, intersectional multicultural background up in Seattle and coming down here, like I identify with a lot of people that are others. I went to a Catholic high school and then there I all my friends were the were the outsiders we were all the financial aid kids we were all of the mm. like Jewish people that went to that school because it's a good school so you know and so we're at mass like we don't know what the <laughs> hell we're doing here um you know I was friends with with like the punk kids and 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 being brown was something that that was I, I at least for me like I definitely represent with just the word brown um, because it it represents so many other people as well. It's not just Latinas. It's not just you know people with Mexican descent. It's you know black people. It's you know Asian people as well. Indian. A lot of Filipinos are up there. You know mm, yeah. we brown. A lot of people don't know yeah, that we yeah. look very similar. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I, I definitely represent as a brown girl, brown woman. Really. Hey. Yeah. You know, you just said something about otherness. What was your first experience in life or the earliest that you can remember where you were like, other, I might be somebody's other. I stand out. Right. Well, definitely like, you know, similar to you, like going to a high school where I totally looked different. Um, It was weird because especially learning about feminism later on in life, I just thought people did not like me because of the color of my skin. That's just what I, I just assume. I knew that racism exists, so I just kind of blamed always racism. So I yeah. every type of oppression that I got, I was like, oh, it's because I'm Mexican. Oh, it's because I'm brown. Um, but then later on, you you know, you realize, oh, there's a thing called sexism that still exists in the world. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And then my parents were undocumented growing up. So all of a sudden, this fear and anxiety that, exi- that exists in my life, like yeah. in general with like other relatives and other family members that are still going through that. And then, you know, going listening to a conversation and then people are like you know oh these illegals are coming by you're like bro you don't know you're talking to it yes. you're talking to an anchor baby right now like yeah you don't know so and then you have to educate them and it's exhausting it's yeah especially now really guys we got to still deal with this it's this like we got the up. internet you can damn well educate yourself mm-hmm. we don't need to be like held to that responsibility oh but nobody likes to be called out on their ignorance that's why they're so confident because they're so ignorant and speaking of ignorance i'm going to admit a little bit of my own right here i don't think i was actually aware of an of what an anchor baby was or even that terminology until like a Law & Order SVU episode like two years ago. It was just not on my vo- – it wasn't in my vocabulary. Not to say I didn't know what it was, but it wasn't something that was like in my face. Yeah. I think I heard it a few years ago too and I was like, what is an anchor baby? And then I was like, oh, that's a derogatory term for someone who was – parents yeah. were undocumented and they were born here and now they just, you know, won that citizenship. I think it was – for me, I heard it a long time ago. I've definitely heard it like in the 90s, in 2000s, in the Bush era. And all mm. of a sudden you're like, oh, watch out. You got these crazy women coming over risking their lives. Oh, or like, yeah. Just you to know, give yeah. birth on American exactly. soil. And yep. then they're going to reap all the benefits. You're like, 
do you not know that it is difficult to cross the border? Like that is a one hard yes. thing to do. Two, second harder to thing to do if you're pregnant. Like you're risking you and your you know potential baby's life. Three, yep. um, if you're undocumented, you don't qualify for any benefits from exactly, the state. exactly. Yeah. And it's it's you know, and also that's such a hard way. That's a, such a hard pathway to citizenship that you're oh. like, cool. I'm gonna set. You know, I'm going to put my first step on here first. I'm going to have a baby and then raise it. Yeah, because that's easy. And and then eventually, maybe I can get citizenship. Like that is such a long process that like. And giving yourself every single road barrier possible, like constructing extra barriers that you may not necessarily need. Right. Like that. There's no way that that's the easy. So like that's not an easy solution. It's not like it's a guaranteed you know, checkmark, you're like, oh, that's all you needed to come to the United States. It's just a baby. Like, there's so much more that you have that people just don't understand. And they they don't want to understand because it's so much easier to criminalize a whole like 11 million people if you don't understand all of their experience. Yeah. Or holding them to just like a singular experience. For sure. Which is in this time, the most detrimental thing For to sure. all of us. And this is why also this is important. Having these conversations is important because, I mean, we've spoken to somebody else on the podcast who also has that experience of being a quote unquote anchor baby. Mm-hmm. But like the rest of your experience is totally different because we're all totally different. Definitely. Yeah. The the It's crazy to me that people don't see that. Yeah. That anxiety might be similar. Those feelings. I was listening yeah. to another yes. podcast and, and there was a woman who... Uh, was you know she was a DACA re- recipient. Yeah. Um, so can, she's can over you there. Quickly explain DACA for people who are listening who may not understand what that is. That's deferred action for kids that or children that came over to the United States when they were really young um, and may or may not have asked to do that. They sometimes were forced to do that. You're like we gotta we gotta go to the U.S. And so that's deferred action. From what I understand, that means that you're forever in immigration proceedings, but you're never actually. There's, you're not getting citizenship. You're not getting residency. You're just like in this limbo land that Got kind it. of protects you. Slightly. From, right. Slightly. It's very that 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 very bridge gray. is very fragile. At the yeah. Moment. I had some friends who didn't want to do DACA because they were like, well, what if they take it away mm-hmm. and then they can use that to find you? Right, and like dude. that's actually what's happening now. La so mira paranoia confirmed like you were right. Right. And. Well, and this little bridge of security can be broken by, you know, an orange Cheeto that runs the nation at any moment. Yeah. yeah. So We spoke about this with our first guest, Marty. She was talking about the ICE raids mm-hmm. in the 90s and talking about like, oh, La Migra is going to get you. We are literally living in a time where I thought that was gone, exactly. where mm-hmm. it is resurging so heavily. Um, I don't know about you guys. Maybe maybe not you, Yvette, but yes, you got <laughs> Because you're Mexican, right? Right, you not know about me. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a little girl, they used to always try and scare us con, like, el cucuy. Like, he was going to come and get us, right? right. Like, no, no. chupacabra style in the middle of the night. I know what that is, but no one ever said that to me. Oh, I know. La Llorona, yeah, because my cousin used to try to terrify me with scary stories. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's what I feel like we're living in right now. Like, I feel like we're living in this, like, the dark hand's going to come and pluck you up from your warm, safe, secure bed in the middle of the night, and you're just going to disappear. Like, 
you know, Nazi Germany style. It's such a terrible thing for a kid to also like grow up with, like because you all of a sudden are not trusting your government. Like our democracy is so fragile because people are just not believing in it. And so if you have a whole like 11 million people are in this in this country, you know, undocumented, illegally, whatever you want to call them. And then a lot of those people will have families and those families are affected. So not only are you affecting 11 million people, but you're affecting, you know, probably double that. And all those people are now fearing the government. That's very dangerous in terms of just like, you know, you have citizens being afraid of their own government. That's not a right way to like create an American society. And let's be real about something. Um, Latinos are not the largest growing immigrant group in the United States. It's people from Asia. Yeah. Like, no shade. I love my Asians. But, like, this is clearly racially motivated. For sure. And also, I think I I just saw something in NPR that was the most people that overstay their visas are Canadians. Yep. What? But they're offering refugees or refuge for people trying to escape the U.S. Did you guys see that article? Yeah. Uh, Was that time? Does anybody the photos of the, the photos of the refugees like running away from the media and like jumping into Canadian or have, and the Mounties, the Canadian yeah. Mounties helping them get across Jesus. the border, just reaching out what to is them this? like or the detention centers. What kind the of detention photos centers that don't have blankets and mm. food and beds for these families? And not even yeah, they're children. Yeah. They're not even. They're not criminals. People in jail are, have better treatment than that. Yeah, look it up if you guys don't know what we're talking about. Definitely do a quick Google, Google it. search because it's 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 not just like oh like my family used to deal with this. No, this is like stuff that's still happening and it's it's not it's not cool. And this is Japan style gathering people up, putting them into camps, and like if you're gonna deport them, I mean, send unfortunately, them to that camp. wasn't Japan style. That was U.S. That was style US, done to Japanese. Style. Yeah, that's what I mean. Immigrants, which is even scarier, right? Yeah. Just to say that well, out they loud. Had, they didn't even have detention centers for them. They had them in like horse stalls, right? And like I remember learning about that in school. And uh, when home was a horse stable was like an article that we had to read, mm. and um. Well, now they're putting people in all these crazy detention camps and they're not even sending them back to their countries. They're just Mm -hmm. holding them there because they're getting money for it. For sure. And also, like, you know, you have President Trump trying to increase that when realistically the United States simply doesn't have the facilities or the money to hire all of these immigration lawyers, all of these immigration. Like they're not even uh, seeing judges. Judges. Yeah. Like, right. If, if you're really going to try to target 11 million people, you need a lot of kids that are right now in high, in you know law school all of a sudden get approved to become an immigration like judge because that's it's, it's just it's so dumb. It sucks that we're in this right now. This is so well, unfair. Nothing that's happening right now is making any sense whatsoever. This is, he's yeah. emboldening people to take the law into their own hands and like capture immigrants like he's emboldening like government oh officials. I just pictured to do like stupid citizens arrest like hog time. Well, did you when see you what that? happened yesterday? No. Well, when this comes out, it wouldn't have been yesterday. But there was a little Latino boy mm. in Anaheim who was grabbed by a supposedly off-duty police officer, LAPD, and they were I don't know what he, was he 13 did. Thirteen years he old. He was thirteen years he's old. A child. He was and it was LAPD, him. and he lived in Irvine, which does not surprise me because. <laughs> Irvine but um we got some beef between Irvine mm, <laughs> I'm not not about it but um Anaheim not Irvine oh Anaheim oh. sorry same 
you know what I mean, Orange <laughs> County. And um, so he grabbed him and they're trying to get him away from this guy. He never identified himself as a police officer. And when they push him over to try to get their friend loose, he pulls out a gun and starts firing at them. And people are actually justifying this like, well, he was protecting himself from middle schoolers. They're children, like in California. Kids talk smack. Like, are you really gonna? If somebody's like, "You suck," that does not mean that you can. Like, I'm a grown at. I'm a grown adult man, and I'm gonna grab well, a child. And all okay, of a sudden, let me interrupt this for a second. So they're saying that he actually. Um, they have it on video that he was taunting the officer, and I, that's what made him feel like he needed to defend himself or said something from children. You know. Uh, did you guys see that Facebook video that was going around? It was one of those viral threads um, about uh, an African-American dad telling his kid what to do mm. if you get pulled over by a police officer. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, what we're talking about here is basically societal inequalities. For sure. And the fact that we are aware of them and we're adults. I, I'm i 30. That's 30. You're 25. 25. Right. Um I don't think as a as a child that age, and maybe it was just because of the times we were living in, I really wasn't that aware of societal inequalities for people of color or for immigrants outside of my immediate family. And even then, like, yeah, it wasn't something that we talked about very much because it was almost a level – it was shameful. It was not a thing that you talked about with pride and you didn't want other people to know. Exactly. So – I'm trying to think of when was my earliest experience recognizing that. Do you remember yours? Definitely. Well, I mean, I was told when I was I was told when I was growing up, um, pretty early on, they were like, "Hey, girl." Like I would always ask my parents, "Hey, when are we going to Mexico?" Like you always say so many beautiful things about your home city, like hometown or families. You're like, "When are we gonna go?" Is it because we don't have a lot of money? Like, and then they were like, "We can't tell you." And then, and then it would be like, oh, like I'm, you know, three years old asking and like questioning, like, why wouldn't they be able to go home? Is it because they did something bad? Did they kill someone? And yeah. it broke my mother's heart to like hear her daughter yeah. tell her the reason that we can't go home is because you might have killed someone. That's yeah. the only logical explanation that a three-year-old could do. And yeah. so they had to tell me pretty early on because I, I don't think that they could probably hear that for like, you know, more than a couple months of like their daughter questioning them like that. And so and the reason I get so emotional is because this trauma was in my life since I was three, four years old when they told me. And to know that this is something that's still going on is infuriating it's exhausting it's 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 ridiculous because i think that you know i was i'm a citizen and and luckily this isn't, isn't something that we have to deal anymore but there are children that are still growing up with this and it sucks because they i didn't deserve it my parents didn't deserve it and they don't deserve it because it's it's so it's just the system's broken you know, and it's it's yeah. such a it's such a sucky way to like realize that this country that you're going to school, learning how it works, learning how, you know, oh, this is the you know, this is what the president does. This is what the Congress does. Senate. You're like, it's all broken. You know, inside that it's broken. And it's it's such a it's such a crappy feeling. I think this is absolutely the first time in my adult life where I've looked at the system and 
said, I can't have faith in this anymore. Right. And oftentimes you hear people say, the system has done me wrong. I was betrayed by the system. The system didn't uphold itself. And law of averages, we sit here and we go, for the most part, it's there. We're grateful to be here. This is the best place we could ever be. And to experience the things that we're having now feels like we have failed ourselves that one, it's being allowed to happen and that it's happening before our eyes. And I think the scary part is like us, right? We're sitting here today and I'm sure you've had these conversations with your friends we have Mm -hmm. when we turn around and we look at people and we go, how did this happen? We are educated people. How is this in our actual experience? And to speak to what you were saying about the experience of children, we're imposing this on children. Exactly. We are literally imposing this on children every single day. The amount of kids that were terrified after President yeah. Trump was elected. It wasn't just, you know, and also this is just my experience. There's a whole religion being targeted like muslim kids are also terrified about who they are and where their parents came from and the fact that they believe in something that that all of a sudden criminalizes them quite frankly i feel like this was even worse i remember when 9 11 happened i was in high school Mm -hmm. and i had a friend who was um iranian muslim 9 11 happened we were already at school when it happened it was like it was like homeroom or first period or something. His parents came to school to get him. Mm. They pulled him out of school and he never came back. Oh no. Wow. And I ended up seeing him later on as an adult when we were in college and I said, "Dude, what happened to you? Your parents took you out. The whole school was talking about you being a terrorist." Right? Because why would your parents pull you out? Fear for what how their how their child might be treated. And that's crazy. So, right, that was the only time I really experienced like, oh my gosh, there is a fear and paranoia here. And he said, Yeah, my parents pulled me out of school. I got my GED. Um, mm-hmm. I took the test and I moved on. And that was it. And I'll tell you what, today feels like we have more um news media, fear, uh, fear mongering as it relates um, to Muslim people in the U.S. than we did after 9-11. And maybe it's because I was young and I wasn't aware of other things, but today feels scarier for my Muslim friends, at least from what I can see, yeah. than it did after 9-11. It's, take, it's jumped up a notch. Oh. And I feel like a lot of that, I've read something, it was, I don't know if it was like 75%. It was a really high number of like white Americans don't have any friends of color Mm -hmm. and like something that I grew up with was yeah I was in a really white school but I also had like my one of my really good friends was Pakistani I had a friend who was Persian I had friends who were like African-American and like we were few and far between but we knew each other exactly and there wasn't a fear in me of people who were Muslim because I'm like I know them you had a human face yeah it has to have a human face and like the easiest way to take away our faces is to make us all the same and to make us the devil and to yeah. make us evil and to make us, you know, we're trying to steal freedom, like as though freedom and equality is a pie. And the more that we have, the less you have. It doesn't work like that. It's also a big contrast with like this 
very i mean i'm not saying that when obama was president in his administration we didn't have oppression we didn't have we yeah. still had this but there was a rise of yes maybe it might have been a little bit too much but political correctness like you had people learning about other people's experience at least in like for me like what i saw with in pop culture is they all of a sudden you see just a little bit more diversity and yep. so now that stark contrast with what's happening now it's I an think us makes versus it, them yeah. situation i feel like everywhere i feel like it was I don't care for, who you are. There's always an us or them. For white America, I feel like that was too much too fast for them, even though it was eight years and it's the year 2000. But um, one of the critiques that I heard about what's happening and why um, Cheeto guy was elected was because it was just a direct response of white Americans to the changing demographic for of sure. the United States. They're scared. Yeah, because people keep saying that, like, you saw that New York Times article where it's, like, this beautiful woman who's, like, caramel-skinned with green eyes and, like, curly blonde hair. Like, everyone is going to look like this in 40 years. And they were like, oh, my God. She's a real person. I thought it was, like, an amalgam of different faces. Oh, I didn't know that either. Man, can I just go back to when I was seven and I was doing Chrismica and I thought everybody was Mexican and Italian and Catholic and Jewish and you ate latkes with, like, salsa on it because... It was just blurred, which is how my household grew up, obviously. It was like obliviously happy. And I'm like, what do you mean? You don't have a bat mitzvah and a quinceanera? Right. You don't do all of it? <laughs> I think that's, it's it sucks. But I think that's like one of the good things about the internet is that hopefully, you know, we, we do have like this, everyone lives in their own bubble. And that was like kind of another big thing that happened in this election is that we just lived yeah. in our own bubble. Yeah. But I think also access to the internet, you're having access to different voices. And, you know, regardless of what, you know, people that don't understand what the internet, like, there's a whole generation of kids that are now looking at the internet like their entertainment and that internet is diverse. So say whatever you want about BuzzFeed, about the type of content they make, um, they still worked really, really hard to have a very diverse, like, you know, 10 things that Cheetos do. Like, it's still, a, you know, you might be like, that's a terrible video. But, you yeah. know, you had different voices and different colors, like, giving you that. And so I think that's a that's a plus thing that maybe we can hope for. But, like, the thing that's, like, the I think the best thing about the situation is how much hope, like, Muslim Americans and immigrants still have in this country. Yeah. I feel very betrayed and like it's hard, but like you gotta like still be prideful. And we can't we can't say like it's us versus them and who elected like, yo, we in this together and we yeah. gotta figure out how we're gonna get out of this. And so regardless, you know, there's some racist people out there and they're not very fun to talk to, but we gotta figure out we got we're all in this. We can't we can't split up like what you know, we can't just be like, we're California. We're the West Coast. Bye bye. Like <laughs> it's it's this weird thing where like I feel like I have to swallow up my pride a little bit and then like try to talk to these people because they, you know, they're afraid. And I'm like, why are you? I'm I'm five, too. Why are you afraid of me? <laughs> I think the great point that you made, though, is the fact that there are content creators making change right your platform your platform of feminism your your platform as a latina your platform just in general is empowering such large audiences and i think we're seeing that i don't know about you guys but i kind of stopped going on facebook for the most part unless i have to mm -hmm. um, yeah. but instagram and mm. twitter and i'm seeing amazing content from people that i never saw before and here's the other thing that i'm seeing 
people that I want to hear it from, sharing other exactly. people's content that would be relevant for me that I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like my horizons are expanding by leaps and bounds right now because every day I'm discovering new people who are so motivated. And this might be the one positive thing that we're seeing who are so unhappy with this that they're taking action and creating their own platforms. And our platforms are free. For right? sure. Mm -hmm. It's never been easier to build your own community when Facebook's free, you know, Instagram's free, Snapchat's free. All you need is a phone with a – and it doesn't even have to be a new phone. Nope. It just has to be one that could deal with the latest download for the most part. Maybe a camera on it. Camera you know, so you can, and a you know, feed take and internet connections. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's this really weird, you know, world where – you know, kids. It, also, activism is becoming mainstream. You're seeing yeah. like people yeah, like I Katy Perry, which I'm like, I wouldn't. Honestly, I didn't expect much. About I did you, girl. not expect that at all. But all right, like I didn't like your music, but I respect you as an artist yeah. using your voice, <clears throat> Taylor Swift, um, using <laughs> your voice to try to like, you know, this is something that matters to her, and she's gonna, you know, regardless yeah. of what you think about her music. It's, I was it's watching cool. that performance at the Grammys, and I was like, is she, is she getting? Is that? Is that politics? Did she just get like a little bit woke? Is that what this is? That what this is? <laughs> For sure. And then at the end, she was like, you know, very like, yes, this is a political statement. And I was like, what? And you have like, obviously, girl, Beyonce, Queen B, you oh know, my God. using her voice as mm. a very strong black woman. The formation video. Showing it. And the, the Super Bowl performance. The performance. Oh, beautiful. Oh and my God. And her Grammy performance. I died Jesus. like five times. That. And then I was born again. Exactly. <laughs> As a Beyonce believer. Yes. I was like, girl, please keep doing it. It's it's great. It's great to see, you know, artists and influencers and anyone with a platform using their voice to talk to and to reach a different audience and also advocate for, for quieter voices that are in there. I think that's super cool. And, and I'm 100% down for it. Yeah. And I love that the quieter voices are even getting louder. Like people who wouldn't even normally say anything about anything are feeling compelled to step forward and do something. And I love that people are doing something. Mm -hmm. Did you march? I did. I, I'm... I post pretty often uh, when I march. Like I, I went to the to the airport, and it was kind of cool. It was I have this really cool photo that uh, it's me smiling, like taking a, it's me taking a picture, like taking a <laughs> taking a selfie, um, and then the like the cops in like riot gear, just like you know, right in front of me. Which I'm, you know, it's it's cool to have to be. Able, you know, I'm not. I just recently got an like an audience. It's not like I've always like had an internet presence. It's very recent within a year. And I feel really, really lucky that, you know, I have a very small audience, but I'm gonna try to use my voice to try to advocate for these people. I'm gonna try to say, yo, I don't believe in the Muslim ban. I think it's BS. I don't like it. I'm gonna, I went to the immigrant march. Um, I unfortunately was sick for the women's march, but I yeah, still like yeah. repped it. I went the day before to the anti-Trump march. I'm yo. I've been going to immigrant marches. I've been going to May Day marches. I've been going to marches mm. since I was like twelve. So the fact that all of us, all of a sudden, I see, you know, there's a bunch of people. How many people were in LA? Like, was oh, it like? Gosh, I forget. It, it was, was insane. It well, was Yvette like, was actually there. Yeah, I was in it. That's amazing. I was in it to win it. Good job. Congratulations. It was, it was a lot. Yeah. Fist bump. Fist bump. <laughs> it was so many people that I couldn't even 
I couldn't even fathom the amount of people that were there. And because you can only see like a little bit around For you, sure. like I had no idea how big it was until, you know, I was trying to get out of there and we were walking back and I was like, oh, OK, we're this crowd this. doesn't. Yeah, this crowd does not end. And it just keeps going and going and going and going. And like everybody had their signs and everyone was so excited. And like people were yelling things and making music. And there was like Sikhs handing out free food and people were giving away shirts. Like everyone was in such a good mood and in such high spirits. Mm -hmm. And not a single arrest. Not Mm -hmm. a single arrest. Way to go, people. Way to go. Also, LAPD. That's a really great way to. I did not see any LAPD. I saw one LAPD officer and he was at the food trucks eating. And Poor guy. He gets hungry, too. I'm not saying sure. that in a bad way. There was a lot of really good food trucks. So For he sure. was like, I'm going to eat. Yeah. I mean, I don't <laughs> agree with a lot of, you know, the policies and, and a lot of the institutional racism that goes with police departments. But mm. when you see them, like, just kind of be there, they're there because they, they got to, like, there's a crap ton of people in any march. I understand. Yeah. Like, you know, maintaining and not, like, make, make sure nobody does anything bad. I know that a lot of times... They suck at that job, but yeah. the well, few times that it works, good job. I have a friend who's a sergeant for LAPD, and I actually asked him specifically about the march. And he said when the organizers filed the permits with City Hall, um, and the LAPD has a special events group that actually um, administers overseeing experiences like this, mm-hmm. that they expected something like, I don't know, a fifth of the people mm-hmm. who showed up. So even though they had extra attention to it, when we look at that in our heads and, you know, I heard that, all I could think was, thank God something didn't go wrong, that mm-hmm. there weren't arrests yeah. because that could be a real situation. And you were in it. It was mosh pit style. It was at some points it was very tight right. and it got kind of scary. Like um, the Civic Center station entrance. Yes. They were saying that people were trapped downstairs oh because gosh. people were coming up and right. kind of hanging around that area where it's open. Couldn't and yeah, so I was in there like pushing through. That's I've, terrifying. I used to go to Coachella every year, so I'm used to pushing through big crowds that I'm good at cutting through there. Right. But like it was uh, it was tight. And I was with my family, so I was like, man, you guys are slowing me down. Right. You got to <laughs> hold hands, use the well, hand yeah. method. My mom is just like so like ADD. She would just like. Wander. No, she you can't wander. Off. No, that's terrifying. Well, okay. So let me touch on one on one point related to that. You knew you were going to march. I was out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in San Francisco, and San Francisco was doing a night march, and mm-hmm. I was like, and the LA one was happening during the day, and by the time I got on the plane, I was going to miss both of them. Oh, no. So I was stuck in this limbo, and um, but Yvette, being the practical research-based person that she always is was like i looked at the agenda i knew where to go and i was on their mailing list this is not my first rodeo no it's not but here's here's the point that i want to bring up about this we started this podcast because people came to us and said i want to get involved i want to know what to do next and how i can take action right what are my next steps doing things like checking the agenda and going to marches and getting informed about what is the goal what is the cause what is the route you're taking mm-hmm. where are you marching is better than just going up for What's the spectacle your backup spot where do you meet if you get separated how yeah. are you going to get out of there like luckily we work in downtown i know my way around downtown mm-hmm. so like that was easy for me but there was people coming from all over california sure. all over different places and like they had no idea what they were doing there and like I had people like oh we had people there for the spectacle yeah they were there just to show up because they thought it was gonna be a leap show yeah Mm. so 
uh, I had people asking like, what's gonna, what, where do we go? What are we doing? I'm like, well, we're supposed to start at Pershing Square and we have to walk all the way down to City Hall. Mm-hmm. And in front of City Hall, they have speakers set up and they have like an agenda of whatever. And then they had music and like I got to hear, I think it was Gloria Steinem. It was somebody. Whoa. It was somebody important. That wouldn't have been here. <laughs> oh, from no, LA. no. It was, uh, it was um, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. Oh, yeah. Okay. She was here in LA. Jane Fonda. Um, one of the very prominent um, trans Latina or Latinx uh, activists was there. Mm-hmm. I can't remember her name. And Mayor Garcetti spoke. Yeah. Um, but oh, our city attorney Mike Fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who we've actually had on a panel. In fact, we did this with LAPD and Mike Fear last year. Mm-hmm. It was a fireside chat on how the city uses technology to keep us safe. Interesting. Um, and it was actually one of the one of the most informative panels I think that we've done and specifically for women who live and work in downtown Mm. free services that the city bids which are business improvement districts and LAPD offer to make sure you get to your car safely you get home safely that you can call in if there's something suspicious and get a response faster than if you called 911 if you're in downtown find out who your bids are get their phone numbers because they are the ones it is. We have um, availability for it. People can get it through us. But basically, you look up your zip code and you find out which district you're in. And it's a bid, business improvement district. So financial district, little Tokyo, fashion district. Each of those are a bid. And they, if you go to their website, they have 24-hour hotline numbers. And many of them have um, what they call safety um, clean and safe teams, which can mm-hmm. assist you almost 24 hours a day for most of them, I believe. And many of them are first responders. So if it's yes. not like a life-threatening thing that requires the police, then those people are the ones that are going to show up and help you. But they also work very closely with the police and attend meetings with the police and trainings. And so they are the eyes and ears of local LAPD. And downtown has truly done a phenomenal experience in building that. So I think we have to give some shout outs where we can of the Positive Shut stuff. Up. Yeah, LAPD. And, you know, they're trying. You look at LAPD, their senior lead officers, their slows, their captains, they're all on Twitter. You can tweet with them directly. They have community meetings. You can show up to them. And I think for us, right, as we say, how do we get involved? One of the best ways to do that is getting involved with your local community exactly. and meeting who's there. Exactly. We wouldn't have these types of situations that we hear about even in other cities. Um, or at least, thankfully, we don't necessarily have that here because our as bad because our police are actually they're technology savvy and they're trying to connect on a human level to people one-to-one and say hey i'm not your enemy i'm here to keep you safe i'm here to keep other people safe how can we work together to do that as a community right that is not something you see everywhere else yeah it's specifically an la thing yeah that's good i mean we need our our officials we need our politicians to you know work for us because hey we pay for their bills we pay for their you know with our taxes we pay for a lot of those things so they better be working for us right that's Mm -hmm. right (laughs) all right jessica Mm -hmm. you mentioned that you have a newer audience a larger internet presence that came about recently Mm -hmm. what are some of the projects that you're working on right now uh with that platform well uh, I have I work on a channel called People Be Like. We're about to also launch a podcast, which we still don't know the is name it, of. Is it People Be Like? Kind, kind of. of. Maybe I just get this like ratchet chola voice <laughs> every time I hear like, pero like. People I mean, I'm like. doing it right now. I wish you guys could see me with my <laughs> like head roll. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's. It started as like you know Vine, the you know the 
people be like every time you know black people be like brown people be like you know people in general be like going yes. to the toilet you know those vines that were just like too <laughs> relatable to be like realistic They're like <laughs> when people breathe oh. and you're like cool thanks vine yeah i know when people do that yeah so so that was i think the like that was the way that the name came out of but now it's kind of just representing we're going directly to towards a millennial audience with kids that are growing up wherever they might be a little dorky they might be you know a little nerdy but we still we we we're doing content for them and it's multicultural it's diverse it's pretty great um and also just using my own platform to try to educate my audience on political issues that i think are important how do you feel like you guys are bridging the gap between millennials and the older generation Oh, let me interrupt you for one second, because it's one thing to bridge gap between millennials and older generations. But when your older generation is also immigrant parents Mm -hmm. and you've got some cultural barriers, I feel like that's even harder. You know, I think that there are a lot of differences, but I think the things that unite us and the things that make us more similar are more like I feel like there's so many labels and everyone tries to put each other in each label. But, you know, if something's funny, something's funny, you know, if if if. If, if there is a story out there that needs to be told in simply a human level, it doesn't matter where they're coming from. I mean, that's simply something you have to you have to talk about, you have to approach. But, you know, I think that if you're making good content, anyone will find that good and anyone will find that relatable or, you know, or not. And that's OK. But I think for me, like, I feel really excited that my audience is relatively younger than I am. And that's OK. And I think it's OK to. You know, I'm not trying to go on TV where there's a lot of, you know, older generation. That's where they get their content. I don't want I don't want them. I don't want I don't want to talk to them because they're they're not the future. (laughs) Like these kids that are following me and not not just all of those, but, you know, also the people that are following, you know, podcasts that are just technologically savvy. They're a totally new generation that are about to go into power real, real quick. And I want to contact them because I think that they're the ones that are going to have the future. They're going to be worried about our environment a lot. They're going to understand the environment at a totally different level than yeah. than people, like politicians that are, you know, 40, you know, 50 years old. They're about to jump into their political peak. But, you know, I, I want to I want to invoke change in 20 years. And I think that with talking to younger kids and, and, and younger generation or just people that are my age, those those are the people that are going to invoke change. Do you ever years. get kids like telling you that you're their role model or what kind of feedback do you get? I, I do. I'm not saying that everyone says that. I think I've gotten that once and that's OK. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not tooting my own horn saying that I'm the best. I'm just wondering. But I have well, gotten I that a couple know times. Who, yeah. who are your role models, right? Because we all get inspired to take be- big action from somewhere. Who are some of the people that helped? That helped you get a little woke and share this message along with for other generations. I mean, the the place I got woke 100% was college. It was yeah. actually learning, unlearning a lot of the things that I've that I've learned that society taught me and then realizing, oh, there's a word for that. Yeah. Like this weird feeling when I walk into a store and I get followed. That's not just because they have really strange customer service. That's because <laughs> like it's 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 oh, that's just that's a, a way of oppression. And yeah. and then that's that's a form of oppression. And that's something I have. That's a burden that I have. That happened to me the other day. Really? Yeah. I was actually wearing this and I went to Macy's and you're uh, not wearing anything offensive at the moment. I know I'm wearing it's a sweatshirt 
and some like it's a knit sweater and it has hearts it has hearts and it's the kindest thing i've ever seen it's like and my hair was like in a messy bun and i wasn't wearing any makeup and the i guess security guard it was around christmas time Mm. it was the security guard she started following me around and i could feel her like watching me and i was Going in and trying on, I kept going back and forth because they had so much cute stuff. I, w- I kept going back and trying things on and then taking it out. And I think I was shop was it shopping for the gala? Maybe it was before. And like I was looking for all my stuff, and like she kept going and like over to my dressing room and looking in on me. Right. And then I could hear her talking about me on her little thing. And I stopped and I looked straight at her, and she was just like, "I'm like, um, I'm shopping at Macy's, and you work at Macy's, so like get off your high horse, right? Like, do I have to dress a certain way for to be respected, like?" If I'm not like carrying like a Marc Jacobs bag, like I'm a not your clientele. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a thief. You got right. profile. I got profile. Yeah, and it's, I mean that's not the first time, but but it's weird. It's the day that you realize that that's a real thing that a lot of people deal with. That's like that was a really in, that was a really eye opening experience for me. So becoming woke was in college, but then I had like my mom, like who was a hard Latina like amazing matriarch of the family like raising me you i know, had relatives i, I just want to comment on that for a second because i feel like we've heard this from a lot of our guests and even our own personal All experiences every one of them their moms their and moms their aunts and their grandmas and their grandmas the matriarchs of the family mm-hmm. they're especially for latinas and latinx communities and i think just brown people in general everyone it you cannot be yelling at your mother I see Dr. Phil. I see oh, I see girl. children yelling at their mothers. And I say, there is a reason. And that sounds like you are a white person. Because if you go to <laughs> any brown person and ask them, would you ever say I hate you to your mother? They would be shocked. And they would be like, I would not survive that encounter. I, no, I remember I that's said. That's right. You would not survive that encounter. I got really mad at my mom once. And I was like, I think I was like 12. I was like, you're an idiot and she we had this giant wicker basket that was for um the laundry like the dirty clothes it was like the size of me she threw it at me down the hallway my mom has only (laughs) hit me once in my life and i was four years old i don't know what i did i think she told me to turn off the tv i don't know why i was so angry we lived in a one bedroom (laughs) bed like one bedroom apartment so we shared the bedroom so it wasn't like my own room um and my mom i i was like I hate you. And I stomped all the way to our one bedroom and I slammed the door. And I remember feeling so proud of myself because I told the man off. <laughs> and then I hear my mom stomping, opening the to- the door, being terrified, looking at my mother. She pointed her finger at my face and said, don't you ever say that to me ever again and slap me. It was the only time my mother has ever laid a hand on me. And it's the most... it. I, I've never said anything offensive since. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, people, you do not disrespect your parents and you don't ship your elders off to, you know, homes. You got to deal with they that. Sorry about they it. They live with you. My grandparents live with me my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we took care keep of it them. together. The best, you know, one of the things my mom always told me that um, really stuck with me was she said, when we came to this country, we had nothing except each other. Mm hmm. Right. And it doesn't matter what happens to you in life. Family is the only thing that you have. And if you can't keep it together, you don't deserve it. Wow. And that has always stuck with me that no matter what happens, family, you have family, the ones that you choose and the ones that you don't choose. Mm -hmm. They're still your family. Right. Right. Yeah. You made a choice and that's what you have. 
Yeah. Actually, sometimes you don't make a choice. Sometimes you just have it. But for the ones you do choose, <laughs> the ones you do choose. Right? I was going to say, I didn't choose them. Family. Family is important. Everything else comes and goes. But family, that's all you have. I got to choose who was my madrina and my padrino, for my quinceañera. So oh, that was the funny. one time in my life that I got to choose my family. I wanted a quinceañera so bad. I was thinking about doing one oh. for my 30th. But I was oh. like, I need a chambalan. I need can, to learn the dance. Can I just tell you that my cousin's quinceañera, so I didn't have a quinceañera. Oh. I had a choice. You could have a car or oh, you could okay. have a quinceañera. Okay, I and I got a, a pickup truck. Nice. Nice. And <laughs> I remember I used to go to my cousin's quinceañeras when we were younger, right? And first of all, I love banda music because we're Mexican. And that was like Ooh. the one time it was okay to be like extra tune. And my Ooh. mom wasn't going to be like... Mija, put that away. <laughs> well, yeah, because my dad's white. My mom was like, we don't listen to that. Oh, no. You know? And so for me, it was like La Chona was the best one. But specifically, it was like 1997. It was my cousin Panchita's quinceañera. Pancha. My cousin Panchita, yes. <laughs> she doesn't She doesn't go by that anymore. I love when you tell that story of like, Pancha. That's such a my Mexican cousin married, name. Too. Her name is Francisca. It. She married a white guy, and oh. she does not go by Bancha anymore. Or Franny. She goes by Francis. Oh, okay. And I'm like, girl, you Panchita. You Panchita. She's okay. always gonna be my female Panchita. <laughs> um, and because she's very tall, she's big punch. <laughs> That like sounds that. like a good rapper name. Oh. If she ever wants to go into rap get name. Oh, she's hilarious. Anyways, my point was it was her quinceañera and they played La Niña Fresa. Mm. If you grew up in the 90s, you remember, ¿Qué quiere la niña fresa? ¿Si toma refresco? No, no, si quiere cerveza. No, no. no. Oh my gosh. To this day, if I hear that song come on, I am la niña fresa. <laughs> oh. My dad, uh, one of his, er, one of, well, still business, uh, he he is a DJ and he <gasps> does. I w- used to work or I used to dance at a Mexican folkloric dance group okay. for like 14 years. I love yeah. folkloric. Yeah, that was my jam growing up. That's the only way I could connect with like being oh, Latina or being Mexicana. Too. Was mm. like just like learning because uh, the dresses were so pretty. They're like so I tried ballet. Gorgeous. Yeah, I tried ballet. I tried a bunch of stuff and I'm oh. just like, I don't like it. But as soon as I saw those pretty dresses, all of my femininity came out and I was like, I want that. So I did that yeah. for the longest time. So. My, all of my friends growing up were like dancer kids and they were all like Mexican folklorical dancer kids. And so mm-hmm. when one of us had a, you know, quinceañera, one of us had a oh, you guys primera. Oh, you guys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, like a uh, oh. first communion, baptisms even for like oh. new cousins or new like, yo, those parties were the littest parties I think I've ever. I live in L.A. I've gone to some cool parties. They don't have anything on the quinceañeras that I've been to. They're just so much fun. <laughs> I mean, shots fired. Yeah, no, sorry about it. I think you're just not going to the right parts of I don't, LA. Maybe like LA County, but not necessarily LA. Like I grew up in Paramount, North Long Beach, and let me tell you, we got down okay, real chill. Okay, okay. So yeah. I just, yo, I just moved down here for like less than two years ago. So we can make this happen. I still have some, some of those friends. Okay, good. We yeah. need to we need to make that happen. <laughs> Our sound engineer, for those of you who cannot see us, since you can't, just waved his hand like I'm one of those friends. Yes. Yo, hook a girl up. I'm trying to go to another quinceañera. I want to dance. Oh, and I always wanted to learn how to dance la quebradita. My mom was Yo. like, "That's vulgar," and no. I always wanted oh. to, but I never found a man that I trusted to like <gasps> fling me around like that. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it is people. For any of you guys listening. I'm single. If you got somebody fun in your family who's a great dancer, fun. 
when can we do this? We should have a banda meetup night. Girl, I've been trying to tell you that I want to have a reggaeton night and like cumbias. Reggaeton. Cumbias and reggaeton. Cumbias are yes, the cumbias. You don't like reggaeton? Reggaeton's dope, but I always feel uncomfortable dancing reggaeton around my family members. Oh, oh duh. Yeah. We're not going to invite them. Well, sorry about it. <laughs> Just like your friends. I'm trying to, trying to shake it. I'm not okay. trying to like right. have I mean, my parents be there. I remember going to the all-ages night, like Latin nights like oh. dance clubs and that, that's the only place that I felt comfortable and even then it was like shady as hell because you got like 30 yeah. old men with like, yeah. look, going in there I'm like homie you got things to do you yeah. got taxes and reggaeton to pay. is so like it, and you know reggaeton and bachata is so like sexual oh it for is. sure so but bachata is so beautiful it's beautiful you see two experts like doing bachata mm. like you're like you're you guys must have really good sex because they. they yeah. How do you not them. have sex with your dance partner when you do that? I know there are a lot of people that Wait, are not together. You know I that know, there's a bachata crazy. festival here in LA. There's a bachata It's coming festival. up. In fact, one of my friends who's Filipino. Hey. She hey. goes to the bachata festival. Hey. She's like honorary Mexican. Yo. She's Catholic. Filipinas she perfect are always Spanish. honorary Mexican. Oh, no. For sure. They're down. Cat, she's totally there. Yeah, you know, they get mistaken with us all the time. So yeah. just the yeah. same. Like I feel solidarity to all my Filipino friends, mm-hmm. and I'm like, we're pretty much the same, except not. Yeah. So <laughs> same colonizer. Yeah. Same so colonizer. So we're like brothers and sisters for sure. We deal with a lot of the same stuff, but also totally different experience. Yeah. So totally different, but not to conflate those. <laughs> for your audience, that's the same, and that's not the same. Same, same, and not same, same. Mm-hmm. Same, same, not same, same. All the places and all your platforms. Where mm-hmm. can people find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at Jessica. Yes, that's it. Jessica. And then on Instagram and all the other social media at Jessica HC. HC is for Hernandez Cruz. And Jessica with a Y. Yeah, Jessica with a Y. We're not just pronouncing it like Mm -mm. Jessica. It's literally Jessica. Yes, yes, Jessica. That's me. Positive Jessica. Yes, Jessica. I love it. Yes, guys, it's been such a pleasure having you. Thank, Thank you, you for so, so much for so getting much. real with us. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having me. I had such a great time. We talked about a lot of things today, and I'm really excited. All of the stuff and all of the things were covered. So I think so. We're I think good. we did really well. We're good. Good love job, it. everyone. This has been Brown Girls Rising. Bye. Bye. This episode of Brown Girls Rising was brought to you by Nylon Espanol and recorded at Maker City LA in sunny downtown Los Angeles. We hope it's inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.